and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. What is this life but to know God? And what is knowing God but to experience him here and now? Jesus, the image of the invisible God, has made known to us his ways and has paid the price that we may be with him not only in heaven but here, now, on earth. So the question isn't, does God want you to experience him? The question is, will you say yes? I really believe that uh, I've got an encouraging word uh, that is for our uh, ministry. And if you were here two weeks ago, just a quick reminder, we're doing college night once a week, and then we do life group, and then we do college night, and we do life group. And so we're going to take this message, and we're going to break it down in life group. And and so I just want to encourage you, like, man, if you can, try to be at college night and life group, because you're going to be able to get kind of a twofer. One, all right, and it'll be fun. So, um, we launched our series. Hey guys, hi, all you. We're praying for healing. We love you guys. Y'all are awesome. All right, uh, and uh, uh, we were we started a series called Experiencing God. Everybody say Experiencing God. And the heart in this is we want you guys to experience God in a deeper and wider way in your life. That it's it's that simple. And so we're going to be talking about different topics related to experiencing God. Two weeks ago, does anybody remember what we talked about? Quiet time time or the secret place. Yes. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to that, I want to encourage you to check it out. Uh, AFW College Podcast on Spotify or Apple Music or all of your – yeah, I know. I know. It's on there, all right? Uh, Actually, today, Jordan showed me uh, that we, we have 60 listens from Germany. On our on our podcast, all right. So we're reaching the nations, you know. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And uh, and we have. I'm not kidding, guys. We uh, and it's not about numbers, but, but I can say this, all right. We have 1,500 listens on our podcast. Let's go. Yeah, literally, like it's awesome. So like, hey, check it out. There's some cool stuff that God's doing through the podcast. It's not about me. It's just about God using our content to reach people, right? Okay, so. Tonight, we are kicking off round two of Experiencing God, and uh, if you know my preaching, you know that I like a good little illustration, and so uh, to introduce our topic tonight, I want to talk a little bit about this golf club, all right? Anybody play golf? Raise your hand if you play golf. I have practice. No, I don't play golf. Okay. <laughs> to what extent? I'm really good at golf. <laughs> yeah, 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 okay, yeah, whatever. <laughs> all right. So on a golf club here, uh, you, you – this is going to be difficult, all right? So you have the face of the golf club, and inside of the face, you have these little bitty grooves. Can everybody see those lines on, on this club? Got it. All right, perfect. Uh, and inside of the lines, there's dirt, all right, that can get inside of here. And if there's dirt that gets inside of here, it can affect the way that the club makes impact with the ball. But if the grooves, is what these are called, of the golf club are really clean, then when I make contact with the ball, I'm going to be able to have maximum spin, 
maximum control, shoot, the, shoot a better score, all right, and my handicap's gonna go down, which is the purpose of life. I'm just kidding, it's not, it's not at all, but it's one of them. Uh, and, uh, but if the grooves are dirty, then the club can't perform at its maximum potential. And so what I do every night before I go play golf is I take all 14 of my clubs and I give them a good scrub so that I can set them aside to be used effectively. And I clean, all, I clean out all the grooves, all the grooves in my club, which I need to do right now because it's still a little dirty, all right? So what I want to propose to you tonight is that God wants to clean up some of the grooves in your life. He wants to clean up some of the, the spaces inside of you so that you can be set aside, not to play golf, but for him and for him alone. And shoot 67, which is a good golf score, in case you're wondering. Please don't touch that. I'm just kidding. You can touch it. And the way that the Bible describes being set aside for a better purpose is this word consecration. Everybody say consecration. 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 I got a definition for us. Consecration is the dedication of something or someone to the service and worship of God for God. It's the dedication of something or someone to the service and worship of God for God. And all throughout the Old Testament, there are a lot of different examples that we have of things that are consecrated that are washed clean, that are purified before they're used to be presented before the Lord. But how many of you know, you know that when Jesus steps onto the scene and he dies for us and he dies in our place, he washes us clean, that it's not just objects that just get washed clean and purified anymore, but it's people as well. <laughs> it's you and I. It's the children of God. And that's, that's what Jesus does for us is he purifies us so that we can then walk in a greater measure of holiness in our lives. And what I want to encourage you with tonight, when it comes to experiencing God, I believe that consecration is one of the golden keys that you need in order to unlock more of Him and experiencing more of Him for you. So I've got, I've got three points. Yes! Related to consecration. Okay? It will be simple. But uh, I want, if you've, if you've got your Bibles, I want you to just put a mark on Exodus 19 and Daniel 1. Exodus 19 and Daniel 1. Those are the two passages we're going to be in. And my first point related to consecration is this. Consecration starts with him. Consecration starts with God. All right. Psalm 4.3. Great example of this. This is David speaking. He says, know that the Lord has set apart his faithful servant for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. I love that David says that God has set me apart for him, for him alone. Not God has set me apart to be the king. Yes, it, it, there were so many different roles that David had, but they all flowed from this one role that God had set David apart for himself. God has set you apart for him. And it's important to know that God initiates consecration with us first. That has to be the foundation that, that we're operating from, that we uh, move from. 
You know, when I uh, grew up as a Christian, um, I used to believe that um, being set apart for God or being consecrated to God was about just doing certain things, like um, I needed to be in Sunday school, and I needed to respond well to my parents, and I shouldn't punch my brother, which I did, and you know, for me, this is kind of funny. I, I thought if I put like $5 in the Salvation Army bucket at Walmart, you know, that that was going to be like a, God's going to love me more, you know, or God's going to approve of me more, or then I will be closer to God if I, if I do these things. But I want to just, uh, again, set the foundation here, coming out of the gate, that we don't set ourselves apart to earn God's affection, Right? We set ourselves apart because we already have God's affection. Ephesians 1.5, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. I think that maybe some of you need to just hear that encouragement or that gentle reminder tonight. It was God's pleasure to adopt you. It was not a bummer for him. He was pleased to do it. And I just, you know, sometimes I'm just amazed that the God of the universe is obsessed with, with you and with me. Like in all of our brokenness and all of our, the, the places that we miss it, he's still constantly, he's obsessed with us. Um, I, uh, some of you know this, but my, uh, my dad is actually really sick right now, and uh, without going into too much detail, he, he has uh, an advanced form of cancer, and um, I have spent probably about the last eight or nine months uh, driving to Carrollton every week to go and spend time with him, and uh, every time that I go into the treatment room, He'll say something along the lines of, um, Ben, have I told you how much I love you? And, you know, I'm like, yeah, Dad, you, you, you know, you have. And then uh, 10 minutes later, he'll, he'll say, Ben, have I told you how, how proud of you I am? And then, you know, time will go by and he'll ask me again. He'll, he'll say, have I told you how much you mean to me? And he has done this over the last eight or nine months. He, he maybe has said this like a hundred times, each one of those different things to me. And I began to think about this, and I was like, my dad is obsessed with me. <laughs> like, that, that's actually what good fathers do for their kids. Like, they can't help but just pour out <laughs> their love onto them. And... Uh, the other day, about two weeks ago, one of the nurses walked into the, the treatment center, and she came up to me, and she said, um, you know, I wish other sons would sit with their dads like this. She said, you're the first one that I've ever seen that, that comes to treatment like this for, for his dad. And uh, I, I was like, huh. You know, why, why am I doing this? And I begin to realize the reason that I'm sitting next to my dad is because he spent 32 years laying down his life for me. <laughs> and he's spent his entire adulthood taking care of me, providing for me, making sacrifices for me all along the way. 
one of the big ones so that I could come to know Jesus in my life. And the only right response that I have in my heart is just to be with him, <laughs> is, is just to be close. That's God's heart for you in consecration. <laughs> he is obsessed with you and he wants to pour his love out upon you. And our only right response to God's affection is consecration <laughs> to him and to want to draw near to him. So that's number one. Uh, consecration starts with God. Number two is this. Consecration implies boundaries. Everybody say boundaries. boundaries. All right. Boundaries are like broccoli. Um, if you don't like it, put some Velveeta on it. All right. And it, it'll be okay. You, Jane doesn't like broccoli with Velveeta either. No. Because it's better with cheese. Nobody thinks. Oh, okay. Well, then just scratch that uh, analogy. You're with me. Bella's the only one that's with me. Okay, all right, great. So, <laughs> so, you know, uh, some of us like boundaries. Others of us, not so much. Some of us maybe fall in the middle somewhere. I know different times in my life I've liked boundaries. Other times, not so much. But there's a great example of boundaries that we find in Exodus 19. And it's when God is speaking to Moses and he's telling Moses to give certain boundaries for the Israelites to follow. And I love this. It's Exodus 19, verse 10. And it says this, And the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day, because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Verse 12, Put limits, put boundaries for the people around the mountain, and tell them, Be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. After Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them, and they washed their clothes. So God tells Moses to go and tell the people, I'm about to come by this mountain, okay? You are about to have an experience with me. You're about to have an encounter with me, but I want you to go and tell the people that they need to do a few specific things. They need to wash their clothes. They need to get ready because God is holy. God is righteous. And I'm about to come and pass by and they need to go get ready. And then when they're ready, they need to come up and they need to come all the way up to the mountain, but they need to not touch the mountain because I'm going to put limits on it. I'm basically going to put an imaginary line around the mountain. I'm going to put a, a boundary there and I'm going to pass by but I want to use you, Moses, to go and tell the people what the boundary is going to be. I uh, started thinking about boundaries. And I was like, why do they matter? Like, why are they important? And what's the meaning of them? And I thought about uh, my nephew. Uh, he's six years old. His name is Lincoln. And uh, Lincoln and I, over Christmas break, I told my brother, I said, hey, I'll, uh, I'll take Lincoln out on a walk because I'm a good uncle, right? You know, get some good nephew time. And uh, so uh, Lincoln and I were, were going out, and um, we were about to cross the street. And I had Lincoln's hand like this, and, and all of a sudden, at, at some point, I realized that Lincoln is, is holding me back. 
and we're, we're about to cross the street. And I'm like, Lincoln, what are you doing, buddy? Come on, come on, come on, what are you doing, you know? Like, I'm the chaperone here, let's go, you know? Like, and he's like, no, 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 in his little six-year-old voice, Uncle Ben, Uncle Ben, Uncle Ben. I'm like, I'm like, what, buddy? And he goes, um, well, my dad told me that before we cross the street, we have to look both ways. And I was like, I'm the shepherd. No, no, no. I was like, oh, buddy, you're right. Yeah, we do need to look both ways. And so I stepped back, and we both went like this. I said, what do you think? He said, there's no cars coming. We can, we can cross now. And here we go, you know, across the street. And I was like, this is a great illustration of boundaries. Because his dad has taught him to look both ways before you cross the street. And his dad did that not because he's into behavior modification. He did it because he's trying to protect him. <laughs> he's after his own good. He's after his own benefit. He, he actually knows something that six-year-old kid doesn't know. And he wants to learn him a thing or two. That's not good English, all right? <laughs> he wants to help him prosper. He wants to help him to have, to not, you know, run into a car or whatever it may be. Guys, that is the purpose of boundaries. Boundaries that God gives us are not intended to confine us. They're actually intended to set us free. They're actually intended to give us liberty. And for me, I just want to say I am not at my best when I'm setting my own boundaries. But when I allow the Holy Spirit to do that for me, when I allow my Father who loves me and cares about me to do that for me, that's the safest place that I can possibly be. So you say, great. Um, I want to put Velveeta on my broccoli. I'm just kidding. That was a horrible reference, all right? How do we, how do we set boundaries? What, what does that look like for us? Well, look, look back. We're going to throw verse 10 up, Bryson. Um, the, the, the answer is twofold. How, how do we set boundaries? First, you don't set the boundaries in your life, all right? Verse 10, and the Lord said to Moses, notice who initiated the Lord spoke the boundary. The Lord said to Moses. So you don't set the boundary. God does. And, Mo, you know, Moses could have, or uh, God could have said, you know, Moses, like, tell them don't come up to the waterfall, you know, or don't come, wow, I can actually use these. Don't come up to the tree, you know. Uh, don't come up to the desert, or what is this? I don't know. You know, don't come up to there. But he said, no, 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 don't come up to the mountain. And I don't know exactly why it was the mountain that God was saying, but God had a specific unique boundary that he was trying to set. So God establishes them, or excuse me, God sets them. But then notice, throw up verse 10 again for me. And the Lord said to Moses, so God sets them, but we establish them. God used Moses to set the boundary for the people. What boundaries has God set for you that he's made clear to you that he also wants you to establish? That he wants you to settle in or, or, or make a commitment on? Um, 
I remember uh, in college for me, one of my uh, big struggles was my image and what other people thought about me, the way I dressed, the shoes that I wore, uh, the way my hair looked, and I really struggled with my image. And so I was uh, in my dorm room one day, and uh, I was just like obsessing over this one particular thing. And I just remember like just getting so frustrated that I couldn't break free from this. I was looking at the mirror or whatever, and so I went to my mentor at the time, and I said, hey, what do you think I should do? And he said, have you asked God about it? It's like, you're my mentor. You tell me what to do. You know, this is not like, don't tell me to pray about it. Like, jeez, you know? And so I went and prayed about it. And I felt like the Lord told me, Ben, I want to replace the image that you're looking at, which is yourself, with my image. It's like, okay, what does that mean? And y'all are going to think I'm crazy. But I felt like the Lord said, I want you to cover your mirror with my image of who I am. And so I went to the only place that I knew, to Mardell's, uh, and I bought a poster. And the poster, <laughs> Renata, I'm laughing too, everyone's great. <laughs> uh, the poster was these Bible verses of who Jesus is. And I took it back into my room and I taped it onto my mirror. My roommate was like, what is that, you know? <laughs> and I explained it to him, what I was doing. And he was like, you're no longer my roommate. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, guys, something happened in that time. Over the next six months, I was not so obsessed with how I looked, what I just like. And I would literally come to the mirror and I would read, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Or I'd walk into the mirror and I would read, um, I am pure, uh, I am holiness, you know, I am purity. And all of a sudden I just started to meditate on who Jesus was. And as I was beholding his image, my image didn't seem so important to me anymore. Because I was getting so satisfied in him. I was just getting so in awe of who he is. And there was change that was taking place. So my question is, what creativity might God want to give you in your life? How might the Holy Spirit want to connect with you or speak to you about boundaries that can lead to consecration? That in the end will lead to more intimacy with God. Last point for you. So God starts, he, he initiates consecration. And he tells us what the boundaries are. By the way, if you want to know what boundaries look like, you can just look to the life of Jesus all throughout the New Testament. Just following his life, his ways, his teachings, being obsessed with what he was obsessed about, and just falling right in step with him. He's a great example. He's the blueprint for boundaries. All right. Um, so, you know, sounds like we can just go and do this. Well, Yes, with the exception of one thing I want to submit to us tonight, and that's culture. All right? Like, boundaries and consecration, that, that sounds pretty manageable, except for the way the enemy uses culture to get at us. So my third point is this. Culture contradicts consecration. 
I'll unpack it. Uh, you know, we don't like walk into the blue and people are like, consecration is the way, the truth, you know, yes, you know, consecration leads to life. Or, you know, like drive down I-35, exit Barry, you know, and it's like, consecration, that's what you want, that's what you need, you know, just come after consecration, it'll, it'll satisfy you, you know. No, doesn't happen, all right? I wish it did. Uh, maybe not, I don't know. <laughs> and one of my favorite Bible passages about the impact of culture is in Daniel 1. Anybody ever heard of the Babylonians? Anybody ever heard of the Babylonians? Okay, Ryan told me recently there's a movie called Babylonian. All right, don't go watch it. I don't, it's Babylon. <laughs> Say it right, I didn't want to Babylonia. It's a new one. It sounds like something you put on a sandwich. Yeah, it probably is. Or on broccoli. You can put that on right here. All right. So, Daniel 1, verses 3 through 8. All right? What I want you to notice here is I want you to notice the role that culture tries to play in luring us away from living a consecrated life. All right, so here we go. Verse one, then the king, this is King Nebuchadnezzar. Everybody say Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar. This is so fun, all right. <laughs> the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of the court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of nobility. Young men, I, 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 <laughs> that's awesome. I literally was about to say the same verse. Well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. Yeah, I'm going to get there. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were trained for three years, and after they were to enter the king's service, among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief officials gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. <laughs> Belteshazzar. <laughs> to Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. All right? So, you're like, what just happened? In those verses, all right? I'm going to unpack it some here. So here we go. So the context of this is that King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the Babylonian Empire, has taken over the Israelites. So he has come in, and he has conquered Daniel and his homies, his friends, all right? And what happens when someone comes in and takes over your empire, it also was an invasion of your culture. And basically what it meant was when you conquered a people, it was a sign that your God had lost the battle. Not that you just had lost it, but that your God had lost as well. And so the first thing that King Nebuchadnezzar says, who is the king of this empire, he says, let's go out and let's find among us 
somewhere here in Judah, some smart, intelligent men. Let's bring them into my palace, and we're going to enter them into Babylonian 101 school. And they're going to learn a few specific things about our culture. And when they do, the hope is that they'll forget their culture. And he says, I'm going to teach them three things. The first thing is they're going to learn our language and our literature. We're going to educate these men in our customs, our history, and our gods so that Daniel and his friends will look like us, act like us, talk like us, and live like us. The second thing, he says, is we're going to give them our food and our wine. So we want them to know grandma's recipes, the cooking recipe, you know. We want to give them our spices, our cook, 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 Let them consume what we consume so that they will then become like us. They'll look like us. They'll act like us. They'll talk like us. And finally, we're going to give them new names. In other words, we're going to erase their identity, and we're going to give them a Babylonian identity. Daniel is going to be called Belteshazzar, Hananiah, Shadrach, Mishael, Meshach, and Azariah, Abednego. We're going to give them Babylonian names. So you can see that there's a tension of cultures at play right here. There's almost a battle that is, is raging on. And what I want to encourage you guys with is for Daniel and his friends, it's pretty much the same battle that we have going on today. Because wherever we go, there's so many different opportunities that are coming at us saying, just come here, just come here, come here, and you'll find life. But no, 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 come over here, come over here, come over here. I promise, I promise. This is where life is. No, 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 come back here, come back here. This is, this is really this really might be what no one does. This is really where it is. This is where you can find it. Um, anybody like Burger King? Yeah. <laughs> Chicken fries? Yeah. Chicken fries aren't bad. Uh, anybody know what Burger King's slogan is? Be fresh. has been their slogan for ever since Burger King existed, all right? In January, they spent $400 million and changed their slogan from have it your way to you rule. What? Is that why there's so many commercials? Oh, because like... You rule. Yeah, you rule like a king, all right? But here, here, here's, here's, here's my point with this, all right? There's a lot of subtle temptations that are coming at us, subtle messages. Like... I want to rule what's on my water burger. I don't want to rule my own life. I want Jesus to be on the throne of my heart and of my life. And culture will constantly, in so many little ways, try to lure us away from the kingdom of God. But check this out. I love this. Daniel and his friends are coming into the palace. The table is lined up, the king is there, the royal officials are there, everybody is ready. It's a five-course meal, there's lobster, there's filet mignon, there's butter, drawn, drawn butter, I think it's the other way. Uh, and, and the food is all set before him. And notice what Daniel says in verse eight. 
He says this, but Daniel resolved not to devile, defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. In one fell swoop, Daniel says, you can change my name. You can educate me with your books, but it stops at the food. Because Daniel understood that if he took the food, he would then become in covenant with that king. And if he became in covenant with that king, he was no longer letting Yahweh, the God who provides, be his God. And in his decision to do that, final verse for you, verse 15, says this, at the end of 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. <laughs> I love it. And this is actually where you get Daniel fast, and they give him vegetables instead. That's, if you've ever heard of a Daniel fast, that's where it comes from. Daniel gave up what was better in the eyes of men and what was temporary for something that was so much better. Because he knew that God would provide, God would meet his need. And guys, as we wrap up, I want to encourage you that the reason you and I are able to walk in consecration and we're able to not be tempted by the things that culture is trying to throw our way is because every single morning that we wake up, we're invited to the table of tables. We're invited to the feast of feasts. Jesus said, I have come to call the tax collectors and sinners. Sinner? Here I am. You know? That's how I know that every single one of us gets to pull up a chair to a royal kingdom and a royal feast that's never going to lack. And that is how, <laughs> that's how we live the consecrated life. We feast from his table. Jesus said, John 6, 35, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never grow hungry again. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. He's the appetizer. He's the main dish. He's the dessert, the second dirt, dessert, dirt, dessert. He is not dirt, all right? He's the whole table. He's the whole thing. And that's how we crush the schemes of the enemy under our feet, is we keep eating and feasting from his table. And when we look to him, he empowers us to live a life that is consecrated unto him. So we're going to wrap up, and uh, we're not going to have ministry time, because um, we did that earlier. But we're going to take 30 seconds, and I'm just going to let you pause, and I want to encourage you to just ask the Lord, Lord, is there anything in my life that you are wanting to consecrate unto you? And then we're going to wrap up. So I'm just going to pray here, Lord, Thank you for tonight. Thank you for the testimony of your word. Father, thank you for speaking to us. Lord, thank you that you invite us to be consecrated unto you. And Lord, I just ask in this moment, if there's anything that you want to highlight to us, Lord, you spoke to me a creative idea in college, Lord, just any area in our hearts that you want to continue to consecrate, Lord, would you highlight that to us?
thank you for breaking in and making a way through the cross for us to experience God. Thank you, Jesus, that you have washed us clean, that you have purified us, Lord, that you have made us new. Just felt like I saw this picture of the Lord just coming up to each one of you, just putting his hand on your back and just saying, you're clean, you're clean, you're clean, you're clean, you're clean. And Jesus, we can believe that in our minds and it can be a reality in our hearts and we ask for the latter, Lord. We pray, Jesus, that that simple truth that you have cleansed us, Lord, from head to toe, Jesus, even this week, Lord, that there be moments, Lord, in our times with you, just walking to class, whatever it is, where we're just reminded, you have washed us clean. You have made us new. And Jesus, help us to feast from your table. It's the table of all tables, Lord. And we want to keep coming to you. We want to keep, keep drawing near to you, Lord. We honor you. Thank you, in Jesus' name. Thank you guys for being here tonight. So fun being together and hope you have an awesome week and we'll see you in two weeks back here for our next college time.